Well, let's go ahead and get started. I, I want to thank you, Jamie, Jamie Roots, for joining us today. I'm very excited about this. My pleasure. This really combines my personal two, two passions. So this is a little bit selfish on my, on my part, business and sports. I mean, that's if anybody who knows me, they know that's, that's really what I live for. So I'm really excited. Um, thank you for coming on. Uh, it's gonna be a little different than what our normal uh, webinars are. Normally it's a presentation by the speaker. In this case, it's more of interview style. So we're gonna, I'm gonna ask a bunch of questions and I'm really gonna be talking a lot about your new book. So congratulations on that. Um, already a bestseller. There you go. The winning game plan. So I, uh, I read that, loved it. And um, I, you know, I hope everybody who joins is going to have a chance to read it and talk a little bit, Jamie. Let's, let's just start there for a second. I, I do want to get to your bio in just a second, but just talk about where the proceeds of the book go, uh, because I think it's amazing what you're doing there. Well, uh, great to be with you, Keith, and great to be with all of your guests. And I assume these are all business people. So if you're in business in Houston, Texas, and you don't know me, you, you've been living under a rock, right? right. So uh, very, it, was, it was a great process, an exciting process, something I've wanted to do for a long time. I've always believed that, uh, that God puts in you things that you are to do, and you need to listen to that voice. It's never steered me wrong. Um, and uh, this was one of them. I, I spent really 30 years having incredible mentors and access to tremendous learning opportunities, great experiences, and, and uh, really just felt compelled to pass those things along in order to help a new generation of, of leadership broadly, particularly sports leadership, um, you know, and get out of it whatever they can. Perfect. So, uh, so to your point, most folks know who you are. That's why they're on the call today. But uh, you've been in, you've been a leader of the, the Houston Texans for 20 years now. Uh, you started your career at IBM and you went to P&G. You were before that, you, you played a lot of soccer. I know that's a passion of yours. You did that at Clemson. Uh, but just give people a little bit of, um, a little bit of a, a background. I, I know a lot of folks, when they talk to, to people who sort of made it, you know, they want to know what, what their career was, how they got to where they were. So if you can kind of fill that in for us, that'd be helpful. Well, that's interesting because, you know, I, I, I had done a lot of studying of leaders and there was a award that was bestowed on me in 15 years ago. And uh, the keynote speaker and I were having dinner before the award presentation. He said, do you interview leaders? And I said, sure. So what do you ask them? I asked him, how did you get here? He said, don't ask them that. Ask them what they had to give up to get there. Mm -hmm. And it speaks to a concept that I talked about in, in uh, the winning game plan of, of passion and the importance of, of passion and the definition of passion. There's a, you know, the passion of, of, of Christ, you know, in church, I just couldn't figure it out. I was like, that just does not look like a lot of fun. Um, but it's because I didn't understand what passion meant. Uh, the root, root word for passion is patty, P-A-T-I. And uh, it's a, a Latin word. And patty means the willingness to suffer and sacrifice for what you hold dear. And so I think back on my life, everything I've done, I've done with tremendous passion, whether that's playing soccer and developing as a soccer player. Uh, my first year at Clemson, it was clear to me that professional sports was not going to be in my, uh, my wheelhouse. Um, although, I mean, I did, I played on two national championship teams, was an all ACC first team midfielder, but, uh, but that wasn't going to take me anywhere. So I turned to a passion in academics. 
and then didn't find passion at IBM or Procter & Gamble, knew I wanted to be in a sports business. And then, you know, fortunately, a lot of the people that I'd met along the way and done informational interviews with gave me a shot, particularly Lamar Hunt. Uh, back in 94, there was, uh, I worked at the World Cup in 94. There was an idea that, that uh, Major League Soccer might start after that. So I was at Procter & Gamble and learned a lot there, but I knew that wasn't my passion. <clears throat> so um, I had two friends, uh, uh, one guy, uh, Don Rawson, who, uh, who coached with me at Indiana, and Tim Connolly, who was the business manager of the Kansas City Chiefs. So uh, uh, Tim called me and said, do you want to come up to Columbus, Ohio and, and interview with Lamar Hunt, uh, who was starting the, the uh, part of Major League Soccer? And I said, sure, that sounds great. So I spent a full day with them. And I'm driving back. You, you know that drive from, from Columbus to Cincinnati. It's not that long, but I had some time to think. And the only thing I could think was, I, I think I got the job, but I had no idea what job they were interviewing me for. So I get back to P&G and going through another training class. You went through that as well. Um, and uh, I, I got a phone call from, uh, from Tim. And he said, boy, the interview went great. You did a super job. Uh, we don't know whether this league's going to make it or not. Um, so why don't you just sit tight? And if it works out, we'll call you. And I said, that's all well and good, but I'm not staying here. Okay. I got a job offer from Don Rawson to run the, the global category for soccer at Reebok. So if you're not prepared to offer me a job now, I'm going to go do that. So uh, he says, go sit by your fax machine. So uh, fax machine starts humming. I can see the Kansas City Chiefs logo on the letterhead and an offer to be uh, the general manager of a uh, yet to be determined major league sports franchise hmm. at about 70% of what I was making at Procter and Gamble. And I said, this is the greatest opportunity of all time. There's only one problem. I have no idea what a general manager does, but I figured it out. Uh, and so launching the team was great. Lots of naysayers. In fact, there was one article that I've kept where I had another sports owner in Columbus said, boy, they got to stop being so bullish. Uh, they, they're thinking they're going to draw 18,000 people to these games. They'd be lucky to get 1,800. We did have 18,000. We did play for four years, I think, at Ohio Stadium. And then Ohio Stadium was undergoing a renovation. And so we were kind of forced out. And fortunately, I knew tons of people, just like in Houston, I knew like everybody in, in Columbus, mm -hmm. uh, particularly the folks at the state of Ohio. And uh, so one of the guys there called and said, hey, uh, meet me out at the fairgrounds. I said, okay. So I met him out at the fairgrounds. And he said, but make sure you turn right, not left. And so I did, I turned right. And I was like, what's this? There was the Ohio State Patrol building. And then there was like this 70 acre uh, field. <laughs> and so he's sitting there and I said, so what, what, what are you having me over here for? He said, well, this 70 acres gets used two weeks a year. It's owned by the state of Ohio. If you pay me $50,000 a year to lease this ground and I'll let you build your stadium on it. So we built the first soccer specific stadium in the United States. It was called Crew Stadium. I actually had a naming rights deal for it um, before I came here to Houston, but they rejected it. It was a, a company called American Eagle Outfitters. They were located in Columbus. Yeah. <clears throat> and then, so uh, I got a call from a headhunter. Hey, uh, uh, would you like to work in the NFL? Her name is Buffy Philippel. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, I said, uh, sure, Buffy, that'd be great. She said, how about Houston NFL? I said, that'd be great, but they don't have a, an NFL team. So they're going to. This guy, Bob McNair, is going to buy the rights. and He's going to start the team up. I don't know of many people that have started a sports franchise from scratch. I'd like for you to come down and meet with Bob. So I did. It was kind of like a had me at hello moment, right? I, that uh, his integrity and his values and his spirit and humility and all of that was just obvious to see. And so I spent the last 20 years here. That's amazing. That's, a, that's an amazing just process to find where you are. And you mentioned informational interviews early on. So Jeez, talk- I need to write a book. Right, exactly. Well, talk a, little, talk a little bit about those informational interviews because we get asked about that a lot. Um, right. how, did you, how did you approach that? Yeah, so I uh, actually, I spent about four months after I left uh, IBM, I, re- I retired uh, So uh, in order to go back to graduate school, but I had this break. And so I drove across the country and just every, there's something called a trip tip that, I mean, you just, you Google it now, but you used to have to go to AAA and they you would tell them the route you want to take and the mm-hmm print these books out. And so I had this big trip tick book that had every place that I wanted to meet with somebody. So I packed up my Acura and I put my skis on the top and I put my bike on the back and just drove across the country and stayed with friends and anybody that would visit with me, I, I did it. Um, I visited with Tim Connolly during that trip. My uncle lives in Kansas City and Tim had some friends that worked at, uh, at IBM in, in Greenville where I was. He actually used to work at IBM in Greenville. So uh, that got me in the door. And I remember the day I visited with him, I only spent like 10 minutes with him. So this is the guy who eventually got me my start in sports. But he uh, that day, he was really busy. They were trying out Joe Montana. And uh, he needed to go watch that tryout. Um, so anyway, just I'm just calling people. It's just amazing when you don't want, I wasn't looking for a job. Yeah, I, I just wanted to learn how the industry worked. And to this day, I still will honor any informational interview request that comes in from anybody. So you start you started the Texans. There's there's no team when you get there, right? I mean, they're not playing yet. So what were, what were your first priorities when you joined, uh, and how did you sort of prioritize how you how you spent your time at that time? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, there were about six employees when I started, and we worked downtown at the Pennzoil building. And out of the gates, it was a little rocky. Um, so I was working for a guy by the name of Steve Patterson, and Steve worked with Bob to get the franchise rights. Steve was the general manager of the, of the Rockets at one point in time and then of the Houston Arrows. So one day, call, uh, Bob called me and Steve up to his office uh, with Philip Breguer, who's the vice chairman of the team. And very top of Pennzoil Tower, and Bob's sitting behind his big desk. And he said, gentlemen, I don't like the way this is ha- rolling out. Mm. I'm making a change. We both kind of looked at each other and said, uh, Jamie? Uh, Steve, you're the only one who has the relationships and the understanding to, to build the stadium. So you're going to go do the stadium. JB, you're going to take care of everything else. You're going to get the business rolling. That's what we did. And so from that point on, I was calling the shots. Previously, I was not uh, calling the shots, uh, you know, subject to Bob's approval. But it didn't take long for me to gain his trust. And the same thing has happened with Cal. Um, I mean, I try to always be honest, always tell the truth. Always, you know, regardless of whether it makes somebody mad or not, uh, that's what they're paying me for. So first thing we had to do was build all the revenue streams and do them at a level that was far superior to, the, to where the Oilers ever were. 
So every meeting was a first about who we are, what we're going to try to, what we are going to create. Um, and to make it really clear, this is, this is something totally new. Oilers was great. It was a wonderful run. This is going to be very different. And then found people that had values that were consistent with ours from a corporate perspective, whether that's sponsors or sweet holders, our naming rights partner. Uh, the ticket side was relatively easy because it was so exciting to have the NFL back. Now, keeping them was going to be, I knew it was going to be a challenge, right? Because first few years weren't going to be very good. Um, but, you know, the re building relationships in the community, get, getting all of our revenue streams lined up. You never have one thing that I learned in Columbus, and we only had about <coughs> um, maybe eight months to start the Columbus crew. We had almost three years. So that was like a dream. Yeah. The only challenge is I mean, everybody will see you, but you gotta you gotta deliver constantly at the highest level in order for this franchise to be successful. And fortunately, it worked out that way. Um, and and you know, slowly but surely, we built all the true north, I, you know, things that we need. Whether it's what we call the three imperatives, which is all we work on: win championships, create memorable experiences, and do great things for Houston, or our culture, which is contained in the. Uh, acronym IMPACT, I-M-P-A-C-T, people who are innovative, memorable, passionate, accountable, courageous, and team-oriented. And all those things just slotted in. And, and every year we just pull back the onion, peel back the onion a little bit more and try to get better. So when you beat Dallas the first game, did, did you, you thought to yourself, this is going to be easy, right? <laughs> no, I didn't. Um, we played Dallas in a scrimmage game over at Robertson Stadium a couple of weeks before that. And it looked like Texas playing, I don't know, Presbyterian school, uh, or something like that. It, it was not good. <clears throat> and uh, somehow we figured out a way to get a win. Uh, but I thought, you know, the next day in the Chronicle, <clears throat> it lists the 10 mo most memorable moments in Houston his sports history. And I think we were either number one or number two. Like, where do you take it from here? <laughs> right? So the challenge was what we do next. But, uh, you know, it's been a dream. We have, we've sold out every game we've ever played. We have a wait list of 30,000 and uh, an incredibly supportive fan base. Mm -hmm. And we work hard to earn their trust. Well, let's talk about leadership because that's a big part of the book. And you talk about your know, three habits, right? The habit of expectation, habit of inspection, habit of reward. So kind of talk about that philosophy and, and how you implement that. Yeah. So, I mean, in anything, you get what you expect. So you have to set very clear expectations. You get what you inspect. So you can't just say this is where we're headed, but you have to check mm -hmm. and not check to, sometimes you'll have to correct, but more, more you want to check to reward because mm -hmm. whatever behavior is rewarded will occur again. And if it's not recognized, it will be extinguished. People stop doing it. Mm -hmm. So I do spend a lot of time looking for the people doing great things and then publicly praising them because they feel good about it and they know they're headed in the right direction and everybody else around them understands where we're headed and how we operate. Yeah. It's and a key you, component to culture building. And you talk a lot about that in the book. And you talk about um, some leaders, and I know I've been guilty of this, you know, you're kind of careful about praising because maybe the job's incomplete or you don't know that it could be the best it could be. Or, but you talk about sort of taking the other, the other side of that is just praising freely, not being so careful to, to praise. And that's really a big part of your leadership approach. Yeah, that's that's one of them. The other thing is a maturity thing where um, 
yeah, I, early on in my career, I was like, who am I to say somebody's doing a great job, right? Mm -hmm. well, when you're the boss, there's nobody else to do it. Yeah. Right. And if you don't do it, it doesn't happen. Yeah. And, uh, and I'm a big believer in a, in a quote that people need to be reminded more, much more often than they need to be instructed, mm -hmm. right? Particularly at this level, if you don't have it, you know, you're probably not going to get it here. Yeah. Uh, this is the best of the best. Yeah. And so my job is to provide an environment that inspires them, rewards them, recognizes them they, and, and in an effort to ensure that they never look for a job anywhere else. Yeah. And you also talk about, um, you know, not feeling like you have to know everything. Right. right. So I, I think a lot of leaders struggle with that because they can't know every answer. And, you know, you sort of feel inadequate if you don't, but you, you sort of came to terms with that. And how did you do that? Well, I'll tell, I'll tell you the answer to it. The answer to it is the question. Asking questions. When somebody comes into your office and they say, what am I supposed to do? about? What do I do about this? Well, the easiest question is, what do you think you ought to do about it? Well, what do you mean, boss? Well, what are your options? Okay, well, I could do this. I could do this. I could do this. Well, what do you think the pros and cons of each one of those are? Well, this one's this, this one's that, this one's this. Occasionally, I'll give them a tool to evaluate it but they better not come back in again with that same question. Right. So uh, they say, okay, of those three, what do you think the right thing is to do? Well, I guess number two is right. Sounds good to me. There you go. Wow, he answered my question. <laughs> <laughs> He's a genius, yeah. Yeah, no, that's great, that's great, yeah. And it helps, it sort of alleviates a lot of pressure as a leader that you feel, right? Exactly. Uh, well, they're closer to it than I am. Yeah. All I do is lead them through a decision-making process that I know works. Yeah. Let's talk about we're recruiting firm. We spent a lot of time thinking about how people recruit, how they hire, what their process is. Talk a little bit about your process and your philosophy around finding great people. Yeah. So I was just thinking about that because I was write, writing something up on it that we we have three non-negotiable talents, and every time we're hiring somebody, that's my only questions. I figure their skill set has already been evaluated ten times to Sunday, mm -hmm. but do they have a great work ethic? Do they have a winning attitude, positive, optimistic, team-oriented? And are, do they have a de demonstrated commitment to the values of this organization? And if they have those three things, we can teach them whatever, you know, we'll teach them whatever they need to know. Mm -hmm. The way we stock our talent pool, I hate to hire from outside. So I'm sorry, I don't think I'm a likely uh, customer for you because we have what's called our draft class. We have 12 intern slots that we recruit the very finest graduating seniors that we can find, particularly in the state of Texas. We really try to stay in the state of Texas because uh, you never know if people, I mean, there's so many variables. When you bring somebody from New York or Boston or California, are they going to like Houston? I don't know. And I don't want to run that risk, right? I, wa I want them to be Texans at heart. Mm -hmm. So we, we get this 12, 12 draft class members. They spend nine months with us. They're in varying departments. And every couple of months, my leadership team will do a complete review of every, every one of the draft class members hmm. and provide insight to their strengths and their weaknesses and ask the question, hey, would you hire them again if you had the chance? And we try to identify the stars. And if somebody comes out as being a star, we try to find a full-time job for them. My hope is all the stars in the draft class and there's usually out of 12, we have a hit rate of about 70%. 70% wind up being stars and we can find a place on the bus for them. 
And even if they're like my uh, president's office intern, she's run this entire book project. Mm-hmm. So she's a star and she's not going to make it to full term. So she's, and she had her choice of jobs where she wanted to go. And she's going to pick the one that makes the most sense for her. It's an amazing asset to building culture that you can, you get a, get an eyeball test. It really, the concept came to me by, uh, you know, uh, Shake Shack, that restaurant. Yeah. So Danny Meyer was the, uh, was the creator of Shake Shack. Mm-hmm. Danny Meyer will not allow a full-time employee to start until they've run a couple of shifts and they've gotten a chance to see who they are. Yeah. That's the draft class. So it's re- you can fake it in an interview. You can't fake it for nine months. Yeah. You know, wh- who you are is going to come out. What kind of roles are you supposed to go into? All of them. I mean, PR, marketing, finance, okay. uh, HR, across the board. I love that. I love that. And, and I know that you put a lot of emphasis on, um, you know, building a winning culture and then having your brand, like an employer brand and, and even go far as, you know, going for the awards, the best places to work. And talk a little bit about that because I love the way that you survey your employees and kind of build up to that. Yeah, uh, Jack Welch, uh, who ran GE for years, one of the legendary CEOs, I was listening to a podcast from him a long time ago. And he said, whatever you want to know about your business, you can get it through a survey. I was like, oh, what a simple concept. Uh, but what are we going to survey for? So uh, we, uh, we use uh, Gallup's 10 elements of great managing. So that there's these 12 levels of workplace health and they're easy questions. Uh, rating on a scale of zero to 10, I know what's expected of me every day at work. And then it layers up from there for these 12 questions. They're the only questions you need to ask. And then at the end, have open-ended comments. So the 12 questions give us a good gauge of, you know, we got the baseline and then every two years we do the survey to see, are we getting better? Are we getting worse? And if we are getting worse, where, and how do we do something about it? But the, uh, the, the, the writing, the verbatims are what are magic, right? That's how we, we enhanced our uh, paternity and maternity plan most recently, a couple of years ago, based on direct feedback from our employees. You're out of touch. And so we did the research. We said, you're right. <laughs> we changed it. And, uh, and report it back. The other thing that's important, the survey is important, but if people don't know that you listened and you took action or you listened and you decided not to take action, both of those are fine. Yeah. But if you don't report out, they don't know that their suggestions are making a difference. So going back and reporting and saying, we listened to your survey, we have five things we're gonna get done between now and the end of the year, and then periodically reporting out until you have none left. Thanks for your feedback. We'll be asking again, and we'll develop our hit list. That's so, um, I mean, it's just really powerful. It, in, it empowers employees. They, they realize nobody wants, to be, nobody wants to be told what to do. They want to be in charge. And we really put them in charge, except for the fact that, that the, I believe you, can, you, have the, you have, have the right to have a voice, but you don't have a right to get what you want. So we may or may not be able to do it. And everybody's a free agent. At that point, you got a choice to make. Even on salary, I'll put it to you. This is what I'm going to pay you. Well, I don't think that's enough. Okay. <laughs> you know, I valued your contribution to the organization. And that's, this is what it is. Yeah. And, uh, and so, you just everybody's a free agent and I don't have the obligation to keep anybody on payroll. You know? Right. Yeah. Well, what would you say? So let's just say hypothetically, you know, sports is a sexy industry. 
you can attract the best of the best. I mean, and a lot has to do with how you're running your organization. But let's just say, you know, you're running a mill business owner in a non-sexy environment and you wanted to be a best place to work. Let's yeah. say that was important. What would, what would Jamie do kind of coming in day one in that sort of environment? Okay, so no business is not, every business can be a sexy business. Mm-hmm. You just have to tap into the human needs that you're satisfying of your employees. Um, and there are lots of companies that are great examples of that. Amogee Bank is a great example. I mean, they don't talk about money, how much money they make. Your employees don't care how much money you make. They care how much they make, but they don't care how much you make. They want to make a difference. So Amogee Bank is unlocking the dreams of small business owners. I can get inspired to get up every day to do that. They're changing people's lives in the work that they do. It's all in the way you think about your work. That's what inspires people. Love that. While we're, while we're talking about interviewing um, and finding great people, I'm always curious, what are some great questions, even if it's just one? And ho- hopefully, you know, you're not going to give away any tip that somebody's going to know the right answer to and be able to practice before you interview them. But I just love hearing what questions people ask in interviews. What's something that you asked that you, that you found very effective over the years? You know, I'll take it in, in a different direction. Um, and I feel this way about our, our coach and GM search, that the, the least reliable tool in evaluating a candidate, candidate is the eyeball test. As humans, we are just cr- crazy flawed individuals mm-hmm. and we make bad decisions. The second is a, a reference from a trusted source, somebody mm-hmm. that will not, will not steer you wrong. The third is an objective test calibrated towards the job that you're hiring this person for. Caliper, the caliper test, I think is gold in any business. I mean, anytime I'm making a senior hire, they'll all be calipered. And then caliper has an advisor that's assigned to each of their clients. And I call her the sorting hat. I've never met her. All we do is conference calls, but you know the Harry Potter, the sorting hat? that the, the sorting hat knows which house you're supposed to be in. She looks into people's souls and, and she's never been wrong. Wow. Wow. Okay. So, so less about the interview, more about the assessments. I will, I will tell you the best interview question I got uh, back from a candidate. There's a young lady, her name was Kendall and she was a superstar. She, uh, when I was interviewing her at the end, she said, I said, do you have any questions for me? she said, yes, what do I need to tell you to convince you that I am perfect for this job? I said, all you have to do is ask that question. You got it. <laughs> wow. And did she do a good job? She was amazing. Wow. That's great. That's great. So, so let's say somebody doesn't work out. They come in, they don't work out for whatever reason. And you talk in the book about, you compare it against you know, gardening and weeding. What's the importance of that? You know, Because I know a lot of business leaders have to make those difficult decisions of letting people go. And they may be great performers, but not a great fit for the team. How do you approach that decision? Well, I, I mean, I give people a thousand chances. Mm-hmm. I, I, am, I am patient beyond belief, but I'm not passive. Mm-hmm. The challenge sometimes is people mistake my, my patience for, for being passive. Mm-hmm. Shouldn't you shouldn't mistake my kindness for weakness? Because mm-hmm. when it's time to make a tough call, I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, there, and I'm very clear on what's expected of everybody. Mm-hmm. One of the principles we talk about in the book, and these are the people on my watch. 
I, re, I have almost entirely, my leadership team is almost entirely the same that started with the organization. And I, I have been able to teach them along the way what my expectations are, how they can become great leaders, how they can become better managers. <clears throat> and there's one that, you know, the managing or leading in four directions. Okay. So once you get on at my table, you must lead well in all four directions, leading up, you know, building trust with me, leading out, becoming a respected voice outside of the building, leading down, being very clear with your employees, what success looks like and being a great manager. And then leading across, being a great teammate. If you can't be great in all four of those, and I'm going to give you plenty of time to come up to speed. But eventually, if you can't get it, you, you know, sometimes if you can't change the people, you have to change the people. Mm -hmm. And so do you, do you um, do internal coaching, set them up with an external coach, set them up with training? What are some of the resources that you Yes, our HR team does a great job, particularly in this COVID window, in that uh, people were a little bit, had a little bit of excess capacity because normal things we were doing weren't happening. I mean, they were just firing out training opportunities uh, all over the place. So that was really uh, one of the great blessings of this uh, pandemic that we've gone through. So that all happens through HR. Mm -hmm. If somebody requests some kind of development opportunity outside of the organization, that's great. Mm -hmm. uh, most of it is just mentoring. I, I'm a firm believer that, uh, you know, I've got 12 direct reports and I meet with each of them every two weeks for an hour. Mm -hmm. And I, I keep the action items so I can control what, uh, what we've talked about. Uh, my assistant sends, the, sends those out the day after. And then two weeks later, we're going to talk through that again. And we're going to add to the action item list. It just, uh, it just keeps me plugged in, gives them regular access to me, makes it so I don't have to walk down the hall and bother them. If, if something comes up that I want to talk to them about, I put it in their file. And it's right there when I meet with them. So uh, those are my development opportunities. I'll usually think about, all right, what are they missing? What, what, can, what can I do? What can I send them? How can I help them? What book can I give them? You know, what would help them to develop EQ or, or the leading in four directions or um, the soft management technique or whatever it is? Got it. Okay, perfect. And you've had changing changing directions just a little bit. I mean, you've had so much success, right, in your career. And I think from the outside, one would think if they didn't know you that you probably you've never failed. You know, so I, I'm sure you have, not knowing what those failures are. But how do you approach failure in your own career? Um, what lessons do you try to learn? What's your What's your approach to that? In the book, you talk a little bit about um, burdens, and I know it's that's more about adversity, but burdens and, and blessings, but I don't know if that dovetails into that at all, but well, the, in general. People ask me, do you, do you seem like you never have a bad day? I'm like, well, occasionally I do. And it's usually this, the, the burden uh, deal that there's something weighing on my mind and that blessing and burdens technique is just magic. Uh, you know, figuring out all the great things going on in your life. Then, then it, you, you build, build that up so big that the couple of things that aren't going right, just create a plan to address them. And that, that, that's really simple. But in terms of failure, I, I, I just don't dwell on it. Um, and failure is a necessary um, path to success. There's a joke that you probably heard that, uh, you know, a very successful businessman was asked, um, you know, what's the secret to your success? He said, uh, good decisions. 
Well, how, how did you learn? Uh, uh, oh, uh, how did you learn to make good decisions? Experience. Well, how did you get your experience? Bad decisions. You know, <laughs> it's just it, it's it's part of the process. Right. And you just have to sit down, learn from it, commit to yourself. I'm not doing that again, and just get back on the horse. Yeah. So let's let's talk a little bit about uh, this concept of raving fans. You have a whole chapter about it, and you talk about the importance of it and some some ways that you do that. Um, and you also talk about Disney, which is I know one of your your favorite brands. So kind of talk about your approach to creating raving fans. I'm just kind of curious about how you'd express that. Well, you think about your Procter and Gamble experience, right? So the only two things that that building does is drive trial and loyalty. Mm -hmm. So there's nothing that kills a bad product quicker than great advertising. Mm -hmm. So it really is the experience of the product and getting repeat purchases and telling other people is the key to business success. There is no shortcut. There's, there's no smoke and mirrors. And so our Create Raving Fans is the personification of, in a sporting world of brand building. You know, great brands uh, create tremendous value having a raving fan base. And the way you create a raving fan is doing something so exceptional that they are compelled to go out and tell somebody else. Mm -hmm. And we celebrate these raving fan moments with our staff because it, it just, it's crazy when you, when it becomes clear that that's the goal, that's the standard that everybody, you know, may, they may or might, may or may not deliver a raving fan, but they're, they're, they're going to try. They're yeah. going to do everything within their power. And so that, that's what it's all about. It's just, it's about the loyalty building. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, you're in the, obviously in the sports industry, how is it different? I mean, being in the public light, you know, everybody caring about your job, you know, nobody cares what I do every day. Everybody cares what you do every day. And how you, when you come in and if the team losing or winning, what's different about the sports industry? And then what are some, what are some challenges with that? So the difference in the sports industry, like when I was at IBM, February 12th looked just like October 16th. Mm -hmm. You know, it was The Office, you know, with Michael, you know, you know that show, right? Oh, yeah. It's our favorite show around. That's what it was like. And it drove me nuts. Uh, I, I have, I'm an adrenaline junkie, right? I've been on sports teams all my life. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I love winning, but losing is important in that it, it reminds you that you're alive. Mm -hmm. the pain that you feel. And so that's the difference is depending on the day, you're either way up here or way down here. Mm -hmm. Depending on the season, it's this or this. Mm -hmm. There's none of this. But the goal that I have to achieve from a business perspective is get everybody's mind off that. Always remain even keel. That's a tough job, but I really enjoy it. And in the book, I talk about the uh, four plays for handling all adversity and four plays for handling success. And that came to me about, about 12 years into being with the Texans, that that's what we do every week. We're either handling adversity or we're handling success. Mm -hmm. And they're both really hard, but handling success is harder because it's not clear and present. You, it doesn't smack you in the face. Mm -hmm. It's a silent assassin. Dom Capers used to always say, for every 10 players that can have a handle adversity, there's only one that can handle success because it's very difficult to run with a full cup of success. So, so a season like this season where you're not having on the field the season that, that you know, obviously people want, how, how do you still internally feel that it's success? How do you, and how do you evaluate 
from a business standpoint, whether it's been a successful season, apart from what may or may not be happening on the field. Well, we've, we've, had, we've had good years on the field, bad years on the field. This year is the only anomaly, mm-hmm. the only one for 20 years mm-hmm. because we can't have fans at our games. Mm-hmm. And so the economics this year are just disastrous. Yeah. I don't know if you know this or not, but it's a terrible year to be in the mass gathering business. So it's, it's really been tough. But the reason I wrote the book, that the, the last straw for me was I was sitting across from Greg Beatles. So Greg is the executive vice president of the Atlanta Falcons. And this is the way the owners meetings work. We get together like four or five times a year. And we're in different conference rooms all over the country, but they're always set up exactly the same way. And every team sits in exactly the same place. So for 20 years, I've been sitting across from Greg Beatles. So at the end of the December meeting in, uh, last year, Greg uh, says, hey, can you hang, hang out for a minute? I said, sure. He said, you know, you guys have had good years and bad years like all of us, but you're at the top of the business metrics every year. How have you done that? And I gave him some kind of BS answer. But as I was flying home, I said, I really have to write this down. There, it, there is something very special happening here. You can't defy gravity every year and yeah. have it not be something special. And so those are the principles that I put into this book because I believe that these same very fundamental elements, very hard to, very hard to execute, but really easy to understand, lead to continuous success. Let's talk a little bit about the challenges of COVID. So how is your approach? I know you guys, like most companies, you had to go virtual very quickly, basically in a weekend. Yep. You talked about in the book that you you told the CIO, Can we, we're going to go virtual by Monday. And he's like, no, it's impossible. You're crazy. And then you guys did it. So talk about talk about the challenges and then talk about how you had to adjust and, and look at maybe other revenue streams in this. Yeah, this well, um, you know, crisis is, and there's a Chinese symbol that they say is for crisis, which is the combination of danger and opportunity. And the danger is really obvious, right? Because, I mean, you're seeing it on the TV every day. Mm-hmm. And so you've got to deal with that. And, and so in dealing with the danger, the first priority for us was our staff. We have this incredibly talented group of people that we're going to need in 2021 And so the last, and we have to execute now. So the last thing that I want them to do is to lose focus. Mm -hmm. So as you were reading about this team and that team and furloughs and layoffs and blah, 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 I I communicated with the McNairs. I said, look, here's my instinct on this. I need to be very clear and direct with the staff that we are not doing that. And they said, fine. And so I did, got everybody together, said, look, you can rest easy. You know, whether you're working or not, I don't care. You're all going to be paid as normal. You're going to get your salary change. You're going to get your bonuses. You're going to be rewarded because, you know, that, this, this, this year doesn't matter. This is a mulligan year. And next year, we're going to get back after it. The second thing was all of our relationships. So our sweet holders, our sponsors, our broadcast partners, our ticket holders. How do we be, in light of this environment, how can we be overly fair to them? How can we put the gun in their hand, which is the words that I use, put the gun in their hand, let them choose how this should go down this year, because we're not thinking about this quarter, we're thinking about the quarter century, we want to be around here for a long time. Um, Then there was, you know, uh, uh, develop our team, so all of the activities of the 
offseason program, the draft, free agency. Free agency was a little rocky, I understand, but uh, but all the things we needed to get done to develop our team, we were able to get accomplished. It was a, it was different, but we got it done. Um, supporting our community, you know, we, at times of crisis, you know, we, we're we're like we're like firefighters. You know, firefighters are the guys that run to the burning building. That's what the Houston Texans like to do. When we see crisis, we run towards it. What can we do to help? How do we get people out of pain and discomfort? And how do we lead by example? You know, um, so those are some of the things that we were focused on. And that was the first couple of months. And then we pivoted back to our priorities for the year. You know, the things that we wanted to get accomplished back in March um, and just slowly but surely waited as long as we could to make decisions. But once it was time to make a decision, we did decisively and just moved forward. And now we're thinking about 2021, which could be a you know really a really special season. I'm gonna you're gonna see a resurgence. It's just great to see where the economy is. I know there are a lot of people out of work, and that's really unfortunate. And I am glad the government has done so much to uh, you know provide for people, and, and we do our part through the United Way, particularly. Um, but uh, but I do think 2021 is going to be much better. Yeah, yeah, and we're already seeing that. I mean, for uh, for us, December is typically pretty slow because not a lot of Companies are hiring because they're waiting for the new year, but we've seen a lot of hiring so far in December, which bodes well for next year. Awesome. Uh, and, and if people have questions, I, I, a lot of the questions I'm answering were submitted to me, so I'm trying to get to those, and hopefully I'm addressing those for folks. But if you have questions, put them in the Q&A, and we'll try to get to those as well. Um, something that I'm personally just always curious about when I talk to really busy people is how they manage their time, what tools or processes they use. You know, I, I'm, I was struck when you and I have emailed you email right back, right? And I've noticed that the busier somebody is, the higher up somebody is in a company, typically the more responsive they are. And, you know, you've done that. I've, I've had that same experience with others. Mark Cuban is famous for that. Uh, Steve Jobs was famous for that, emailing personally when people would have questions. So how do you manage your time? What processes do you use? I'm curious about that. Well, the, the, the most important component, I think, of managing my time is hiring great people and giving them tons of responsibility, giving them growth opportunities, not being selfish and maintaining my set of responsibilities just because I'm in the comfort zone. You know, once I've mastered it, I wanna teach somebody else how to do it so I can go master something else. And I do think your calendar is the key to victory. You know, and this is just one example. You, at, periodically, you need to sit down and look a month out and think about all the things that have to happen that month. So once a month, sitting down and saying, here's all what's coming up. So if you have a big meeting that you've got to prepare for, you not only have to put the meeting on there, you got to carve out time to prepare for that meeting. Mm -hmm. And then, so you start layering in uh, the, the things that are most important to you, uh, your family, your personal life, and your business. And then, so once that's layered in, there's not a ton left available for anybody else. So when you get that invitation to a dinner that you definitely don't want to go to, and you look, and it's blocked out for something with your family, oh, gosh, I'm so sorry. I can't do it. But as humans, we're compelled. With, when somebody asks us to go do something, we're compelled to say yes. But right. your calendar being mapped out. But if you are open, okay, I can say yes. But you wind up not sacrificing things that are really important for things that aren't as important. Right. Got it. Makes a lot of sense. Uh, let, let's just talk about career advice. We have 
I don't actually, I don't care where somebody is. Everybody loves this question because, you know, we're, like you said, we're all free agents. So what advice, let's just start maybe, I know you've got a, a son in, in college and um, what advice would you give him or what advice would you give someone who's just starting off in their career? Yeah, well, I'm not big on giving advice. Uh, like, like, you know, not knowing it all. Uh, I think the questions are the answers. Mm -hmm. So there are three questions that I think uh, anybody graduating needs to have good answers to. And for everybody, the answer is different. What is it that you love to do? What do you have a passion for? What will you suffer and sacrifice? What can you do every day, all day long for the rest of your life and never get bored? Mm -hmm. That's where your passion is. Mm -hmm. What makes you special? What talents do you have that other people don't? And I think we're all pretty humble. So we'd like to think that we're not, you know, not that great, but, and we really undersell our personal assets. I know I, there are a lot of things I'm not good at, but one thing I am really good at is being creative and being able to see opportunities that other people don't see. But there are a lot of things I can't do. And everybody needs to figure out what it is that they're really good at. And that's why being at Procter & Gamble didn't work for me. The creativity was not available. IBM creativity was not part of the mix, but you start up a profession, professional sports franchise, Creativity is integral, right? So what, what are you great at? And the, the thing that, one thing that can help you in identifying what your strengths are, the things that come to you most natural are typically where your strengths are. Mm -hmm. And then number three is, and maybe most importantly, is who thinks you're special? Who are your raving fans? Who are the people that are going to be the stones beneath, beneath your feet as you walk across the water? And if you have good answers to those three things, then life works out. If you don't, it's time for you to get good answers to those three. Love that, love that. And kind of a little bit of a, a little bit of a turn, but I'm curious. I don't want to. I don't want to end this interview, and we still got about ten minutes. But I don't want to end it without, you know, talking about Bob McNair, Lamar Hunt, and the lessons you've learned and, and their, you know, mentorship and what they meant to you. I'm just always curious. You've been around a lot of successful people, but I know those two meant a lot to you. So. Yeah, they're, they're, they're different people, um, but their character, um, their humility, their concern for others, mm -hmm. their kindness, their, the things that really matter were exactly the same. Hmm. With Lamar, I got an MBA in sports management. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know what I didn't know. And he was able to fill in all the gaps for me. And then with Bob, it was really another MBA. Bob was such a smart man, I mean, a tremendous entrepreneur. And uh, I mean, he knew finance like the back of his hand. Hmm. And really that's at his feet is where I learned finance. Um, so uh, anyway, they, they, they both were very important to me for different reasons. Mm -hmm. Love it. Okay. Well, I'm gonna sort of rapid fire a few, few additional questions. You ready? Yeah, yeah sure. Um, I'm curious, if you weren't president of Houston Texans, what do you think you'd be doing right now? Um, I, I, the book thing is probably going to be plan B whenever that comes. Um, you know, I, I'm glad I've gotten to this point. Yeah. So, um, maybe writing another book, maybe creating a platform of the winning game plan, uh, proven, uh, pr a proven parents playbook for continuous family success, you know, because mm -hmm. principles are exactly the same but just you have to look at them from a different perspective. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that's probably what I do. Okay. 
who's your favorite athlete, non-Texan? I won't put you on the spot to name your favorite Texan, but your favorite non-Houston Texan athlete. Wow, my favorite non-Houston Texans athlete. Um, Russell Westbrook. Really? I just love his moxie. Hmm. I, I could, if, if I had that kind of guy as a teammate, man, I'd run through a brick wall. Hmm. I love it. Okay. But he just got traded. He didn't even like that too much. Oh, well. <laughs> that's, the, that's, the, that's sports. That's sports. Um, you're, you're an organization or a company that from a distance you admire. I, I think I know one of them from the book. Yeah. What would you say? Uh, Disney, of course. ESPN, they're part of Disney. I mean, they're just people that lead their category, that they're a completely different thing. Disney and Six Flags, they are not the same thing. Mm-hmm. Disney makes makes memories. I mean, Disney is about storytelling. Even in their theme park rides, it's about storytelling. Mm-hmm. And I like to think that we follow that same model, that we're complete, we're something completely different. We're not a sports team. We we win championships, create memorable experiences, and do great things for our community. I love that. Well, we had a question come in about your, your favorite book about leadership, which was actually oh, yeah. There are lots of them, but I, I'd say extreme ownership because mm-hmm. I think accountability is so important um, and being accountable for everything. I think the challenge that people have with accepting responsibility and, and being accountable is they it's a definitional issue. They're mixing up fault with responsibility. If, just because it's your responsibility doesn't mean it was your fault, mm-hmm. but it is your responsibility and just go take care of it. A friend of mine last week said to me, yeah, that's great. You know, people ask if I'm a glass uh, half empty or glass half full guy. I don't care. Fill the glass. <laughs> <laughs> right. Love that. All right. So what are, what are some of your priorities for, for next year? Kind of as you're thinking about, I don't know if you think ahead that far or think about. Uh, we're, we're, we're just now starting to put those things together. But a couple of things that I'll mention, and this relates to the COVID that COVID, uh, you know, I talked about crisis being a combination combination of danger and opportunity. We also saw the opportunity. Uh, we've wanted to open fitness facilities for a long time. 24-hour fitness goes bankrupt as part of COVID. So the Houston Texans are sitting there wanting to do this. And we got amazing leases that would have taken us a decade to put together. I think we now have five locations called Texans Fit, Train Like the Pros, Oh, and we'll be uh, we'll be adding more. It seems like every day we get another call. Hey, can you take over this lease? Mm-hmm. And a great partner, a guy by the name of Mark Mastrov, who actually was the founder of 24 Hour Fitness. And so we bring the brand and all of the identity and they bring the uh, the uh, fitness training expertise. And it's a great marriage so that we're going to work really hard on that next year. Uh, another thing that I know we're going to do is at an appropriate time, figure out. Uh, what what happened during COVID that we want to keep doing? Like uh, Keith, you and I were talking these things you used to do in person, but mm-hmm. this opens up to a whole bunch more people. And yeah. we have another example of that. We have something called the team luncheon, which we have about a thousand people come out, but we did it this year virtually and we had tens of thousands. Wow. And so maybe we'll still do the live event, but we'll do a made for TV production out of it so that we can expand the reach. Mm-hmm. That's perfect. Well, 
you couldn't go a whole hour without getting a football question. So yeah. here, here we go. So hiring a GM or coach first, and I, I think I've, I've heard which one you guys are going after first, but what's the approach and sort of the benefits of, of each approach? So do you hire the GM or the coach first? And the answer is yes. <laughs> I mean, it's all about availability. Yeah. You know, the, the league's got very strict tampering rules and you can't, the majority of candidates that would be on our radar are untouchable until their team quits playing. Mm. And so right now we're spending a lot of time. Uh, I like uh, you know, Abraham Lincoln said, if I had eight hours to chop down a tree, I'd spend seven hours sharpening my ax. Mm -hmm. So right now we're sharpening our ax. So when there's time, it's time for us to strike at the tree. We've already got exactly the candidates in mind that we want to pursue because there's going to be uh, musical chairs, you know, the music's yeah. going to stop. And everybody's going to be jumping for the chairs and we want to be, have our tails in the chair first. You guys just put together that advisory group, right? Yes. So, so that's a, it's a pretty unique, how do you guys think about how you were putting that together and the different backgrounds of those folks? Well, they, they all have, share one thing uh, that they've achieved greatness in, in, uh, in a team environment. Andre Johnson is going to be a hall of famer. Jimmy Johnson. I mean, he, he won more Super Bowls than, uh, than he has rings for because uh, Barry Switzer got one on his watch, right? Right. Uh, when he left the Cowboys. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know the, the wild card would be uh, would be RC Buford, who was with the Spurs. But RC's, I mean, they built sustained success over a long period of time. That's what we're looking for. I mean, there's no reason to get into this and do a one and done. We right. want to be great for a long time. Right. All right. Well, you know what? I, I think we've asked all the questions. If anybody's got a final question for Jamie, you can shoot real quick, but we're right up against it. And I just, I cannot thank you enough. I'm, I'm going to make a little statement, a little pitch. So this yeah, is absolutely. the best, best Christmas gift you could give to anyone who is a sports fan, Texans fan, leadership fan, family fan. The things in here will absolutely knock your socks off. And the best part about it is this is not a moneymaker for me. All of the proceeds of the book uh, benefit the Houston Texans Foundation and our Champions for Youth initiatives. It's available at Amazon.com. Uh, Kroger is going to be carrying it very soon. Barnes and Noble will be carrying it. So, and in January, we'll come out with the audio book being voiced over by Mark Vandermeer, the voice of the Texans. He's going to be putting game calls into it and all that. So January ought to be really exciting for our fans. No, it's, it's a great book. Like I said, I read it. It's a, it's a relatively quick read. I mean, if you like sports, you like business, you're going to be flying through it because you have a lot of anecdotes in there and anybody who loves sports will be really interested. Well, so, if you're in need, of, in need of some inspiration and who's not right now, right? Right, exactly. So we have a uh, comment. The book has already been added to my list. I just sent a message to Santa that I want your book. Great talk. Go Texans. Awesome. Thank so, you. Love right. Texans fans. Definitely. Well, thanks, Jamie. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you. We'll talk soon. Happy holidays to you and your family. You too. Thank you. Thanks, appreciate buddy. it. Thanks, everybody.